Sidekick on the air. It is now Sunday, September 6th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Back home, it's family reunion weekend. Now, the plan a couple of months ago was to be somewhere in the air over the southeast, coming back from Dallas to beautiful Lionville, Alabama. We were supposed to be watching Alabama versus USC yesterday. We were not. We did watch some college football, as it turns out. Yeah, you guys in various conferences without that P5 attached to your name, figuring out ways to get it done. Imagine folks like us left to our own devices, able to safely play college football. Still not there yet in the Big Ten or the Pac-12. We're going to talk about the Big Ten again tonight. There was a lot left in the balance when we last spoke on Thursday. And believe it or not, there's still a lot left in the balance as we speak here on Sunday night. This is just a show that is meant to advocate for college football and not indicate that you're stupid for wanting and being passionate about the same thing. So humbly as we come to you, that's what we're going to do tonight, and that's what we do every night on this show, regardless of maybe what you see at the more, oh, shall we say, broad national level elsewhere. So we're happy to have you with us. If you haven't already subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast too, the Lake Kick podcast. We're doing a ton there that you don't see on the YouTube channel. We do a ton on the YouTube channel that you don't get in the podcast feed, and we'll be doing a lot more on that. Colin is preparing himself for the marathon run of grand season previews that we have soon to come for you. So stay tuned for that. Traffic, I can't state this enough, has just been outstanding for us, and that is a direct testament to you. And I can't respond to all of you, but I promise you, every time I open my inbox, every time I look at the comment section in one of these YouTube videos, whether it be the long-form Late Kick Live or the individual cuts we do, every time I look at my Twitter DMs, and I'm not the only one here who is seeing this, I can just speak for myself you guys flood me with comments along the lines of, thank you so much for number one, like I opened the show talking about advocating for having a college football season, not recklessly, not to endanger anyone, but thinking we can safely do it and pushing for it and using the platform you have to push for it. And also, Thank you for talking about football instead of looking for reasons to talk about anything other than football. I am not an idiot. I understand there are other things going on in the world. It is my opinion and the opinion of the folks who help produce this show with me that there are a million places you can go if you want to listen to that. This is just the one place we're going to leave you to come if you just want to talk about football and maybe leave things at the door for oh, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes a few times a week. So we've got a whole lot to get to in this show. Just a big thank you. Can't tell you thank you enough. So there's the thank you on the front end. Probably not the last time I'll say it this show. We've got a lot of scrimmage intel to talk about. And this is not just your garden variety. Johnny looked really good at right guard. There are two major playoff contending teams that had big scrimmages yesterday. We're going to talk about that to lead the show in just a second. We're going to talk about the very latest we're hearing in the Big Ten. And I'm also going to get you... Down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but not to talk about bad news. Maybe some good news. Now, it doesn't necessarily pertain to the 2019 or 2020 LSU team, but maybe some teams that you will see in the future. So some good news finally out of Baton Rouge. Let's get it started, though. Yesterday, there were a couple of big scrimmages in the SEC. And listen, I don't know where you stand in your fandom. Maybe you're a casual fan who just kind of shows up around this time of year as evidence from our traffic spiking the last couple of weeks, and that's fine. And maybe you have a life and you're really busy and you like college football. You don't necessarily love it, though, and so you, you just show up to watch the games. Again, that's cool. That's fine. 
but there are also hardcore fans and they care about every intricate detail of the sport. And I would just suggest to you, if you're one of those casual fans who kind of leans more towards hardcore than passive, pay attention to scrimmages in camps this time of year. This is where the moves are made. This is where if you're wondering who's going to be good or not, who has their act together relative to the preview magazine you read a couple of months ago, this is where you find out. And I want to start at Alabama. I'm going to shift it over to Georgia in just a second. I think you guys can do the math and realize why these are very important. But quarterback position, really uh, a pretty legit battle at both outposts. So let's start at Alabama. Mac Jones, the incumbent, and Bryce Young, uh, our number one rated player in America per the 24-7 sports player ratings this past recruiting cycle on campus. Figures to push for the job very heavily, just don't know when it's going to happen. So the intel that we get out of Tuscaloosa as it relates to yesterday's scrimmage is really good news from Mac Jones. It sounds like Mac Jones had a good day, and that's not the easiest defense in the world to go against. I think they probably made sure to get both reps a pretty good amount with the ones and twos defensively. But two things can be true here. Um, a lot of times when you have a quarterback battle or competition, even if you have a solid number one and one other guy pushing, or if it's 50-50, like whatever the case may be, you'll notice a lot of times in the effort to advocate for one, people will feel the need to denigrate the other. So like right now, people who may want Bryce Young to make a move, uh, they'll talk about the negative traits of Mac Jones, of which there really aren't many. And that's never the way, or it's rarely the way I go about it, unless it's true. And I don't think it's true in this case. So here are the two things I think that are true with the Alabama situation. They believe, and I believe along with them, that Mac Jones is plenty good enough to win them any game they play if they execute elsewhere. Mac Jones is a former four-star quarterback. Mac Jones is a guy whose talent level is adequate to win if everyone else does their job. That can be true. It can be true that Mac Jones is the leader in the clubhouse, that I overwhelmingly believe he will be the starter at quarterback for Alabama, at least to start the year. But see, this other thing can be true too. It can also be true that Bryce Young has limitless upside and Bryce Young is probably going to be too good to keep off the field this year. What does that mean? Well, this is one of those areas where I'm glad I am not Nick Saban. And let's be real, you guys are probably glad too. Not because you'd lose me on the show, but because if you're an Alabama fan, you probably lose like four or five games this year. I don't believe that, but it probably is reality. The thing with Bryce Young is this, and the thing with quarterback battles this year is this. I'm going to say something that sounds commonsensical, but think about how much more commonsensical and maybe even dependent you'll be on it this year. Quarterback experience is going to be at a premium this year, not just with your starter. Okay, everyone's worried about what COVID could do to this depth chart and that position group. Well, just imagine for a second, you wake up in week four, you're an Alabama fan, and you haven't gotten Bryce Young reps, meaningful reps now, not garbage time, meaningful reps, and all of a sudden, you got to press them into action. Not because of injury, but because of contact tracing, let's say. I mean... It's, it's a, not an if, it's an inevitability. That's going to happen somewhere this year. So let's just use Alabama as an example. Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian know we're opening against Missouri. And regardless of who we open against, we got to get Bryce Young in this game. Number one, because we need the valuable repetitions. But number two, he's too good to keep off the field. That's the luxury here. You're not pressing a guy into action that you otherwise wouldn't play. Okay, If, if Mac Jones didn't exist... 
let's state it this way. If Mac Jones didn't exist and Bryce Young was the guy, they'd be fully confident going into the season. Now, they wouldn't be fully confident that they would have arrived in week one as a finished offensive product by any stretch. See, Alabama's not one of these teams that's going to heavily lean on a quarterback because of deficiencies elsewhere. So I feel very comfortable in what I've heard about both of those guys to believe both of them are going to be ready to play uh, as much as you can be ready to play come week one. Now, having said that about quarterback, what I'm almost more interested in hearing is things that pertain to what I believe will be an overall shift in offensive philosophy, albeit maybe slight or nuanced, but a shift in offensive philosophy for Alabama. And that pertains to depth, quality depth at running back, and the integrity of the offensive line play there. I think both are at an elite level. I think you could make an argument, and I wouldn't argue back with you, that Alabama is going to trot out the best offensive line in the country this year. At the very least, one of the best. They've got not only a lot of experience back, but they've got a lot of elite experience back with pro aspirations. So it is very reasonable to expect they're going to be a quality unit there. And also, the depth they have in the backfield behind Najee Harris is very, very good. I mean, on top of that, they got a couple of true freshmen that they could lean on this year that would probably be penciled in as starters at a lot of Power 5 programs. Guys like uh, Roydell Williams, for example, a four-star guy in this past recruiting cycle per 24-7 sports, could walk in and start at a lot of places. He's fighting for fourth-team reps right now. So they're very deep there. And what I mean by a shift in style of play is when you talk to some people at Alabama, it was great having Tua Tonga-Vailoa. No one argues that. But if you understand Nick Saban, you understand how uncomfortable giving that much rope to one position, even quarterback, on his team makes him. And the reason is because Nick Saban is not a guy who has gone out and put a roster full of three stars with good upside together and then land a superstar quarterback and let's just ride him. Nick Saban's got studs all over the field. And so in his mind, if you put, the, the more you put in the bucket of one position, the more you're vulnerable to that one position. And as good as Alabama was when they were great, and as great as they were, I guess I should say, when they were great under Tagovailoa, you also look at it and say, ooh, man, like if things go sideways there, they're playing LSU. Like they turn the ball over inside the five-yard line when they normally would be running power down your throat to get across the goal line. Nick Saban looks at that kind of stuff and says, you all are fascinated by what it looks like when it goes great. Well, I want to know what it looks like when it doesn't go great because that's going to happen too. you know. And this isn't a sport where you can lose three games and make the playoffs. You got to be pretty close to perfect in college football. I think that a lot of the new style with Alabama that you've seen under the Lane Kiffins and Steve Sarkeesians of the world, he is looking to blend with an old school approach. And so they've, they've gone radical one way, they've gone radical the other way, radical for them. I think they'll try and merge those two products into something this year that more resembles the traditional offensive brand with the new elements incorporated. And they've got the pieces to do it. And you got to have the pieces in order to implement that. I've heard everything that I need to hear from Alabama in regard to that. I feel very good. Before we move on from Alabama, the same true freshmen keep popping out. Will Anderson is going to be an impact player as a true freshman at outside linebacker. Brian Branch continues to run with the ones in that nickel spot. 
very good news. Malachi Moore is another young guy that's making a move there. So they've got really good quality young depth in their secondary. And I'll tell you another name that I was excited to watch as soon as they got him was Javon Baker. Uh, Alabama did pretty good work in the state of Georgia this last recruiting cycle. Anderson's from Georgia. Brian Branch is from Georgia. And Javon, actually every guy I'm listing right now is from the state of Georgia. Javon Baker is a guy that as they had Judy and Ruggs and company exiting to the NFL draft and everyone was looking at Waddle and Devontae Smith, Javon Baker was a four-star guy, uh, as I said, out of the state of Georgia that everyone you talked to, if you talked about maybe a four-star guy who has the most upside out of anyone in their class they signed, people talked about Javon Baker because of, if you're listening, you don't see me, but I'm pointing to my neck up. The intangibles, the mental characteristics and intangibles, he's got them. He's the kind of guy who, as long as he has the minimum baseline physical traits, which he does, uh, believe me, he does, then he's got the mentality that gets you on the field immediately. So he's a guy who continues to shine as a wide receiver, if I didn't mention that, by the way. So those are some guys I'm looking forward to there. I feel really good about Alabama right now. As for Georgia, I feel good about their potential. Still many more questions, I would say, for Georgia right now. We'll start at the obvious spot. This was such an important scrimmage. It's such an important stretch for Georgia at the quarterback position. 95% of you know, for the 5% that don't, Jamie Newman, as we were sitting here this time last week, was penciled in to be the starting quarterback. Do not listen to people who tell you he had fallen behind in that quarterback race. Jamie Newman, up to and including the day he left campus, was the leader in the clubhouse to be Georgia's starting quarterback. Point blank, can't put it any clearer than that. Doesn't mean he wouldn't have ended up being unseated. I don't know, nor do you. So we both remain in the dark there, and we always will, because what happened is Jamie Newman opted out. And um, a lot of you took it the wrong way that I said, you should be a little aggravated if you're in that locker room, because as it turns out, you wasted first-team reps on Jamie Newman. I know other guys participated in those first-team reps, as some of you pointed out, and no, those weren't wasted on them. I'm talking about figuring out who your starting quarterback's going to be. So let, let's be real. Let's have a big boy conversation here. Now we have JT Daniels, who Kirby Smart shrewdly picked up via the transfer market in the offseason. And now it is him, and it is Dewan Mathis, who has been on campus and himself had recovered from some injury-related uh, things that um, – it's a really good story. I, I don't have time to tell it, but it's a really good story. Go look it up. Dewan Mathis, a surgery. Dewan Mathis surgery. Go look that up. This was a big scrimmage, a really big one. We are not, again, we're not talking about a six and four caliber team who is looking to potentially win eight games. This is a team that is capable of winning a national championship if they got it figured out at quarterback. It is very clear from everyone on the ground at Georgia, and the, the guys over at Dogs 24-7 did a great job covering this yesterday. Jake Rowe and the guys always have really in-depth post-scrimmage insider tidbits, and these are closed to the public. So that's the kind of place you need to go to get it. JT Daniels had a good day. JT Daniels had by far the best day out of any quarterback that they put out there yesterday. This is an extremely tough environment with which to develop in as a quarterback because you're going against probably the, if not the top defense in the country, one of the very top defenses in the country. And Dewan Mathis, the way that I saw Jake Rowe describe it over at Dogs 24-7 and the way that I, anyone I talked to has described it, they tried to see what he could do you know, they know what he can do. They know what his, um, his intrinsic nature is. They tried to see what he could do in the passing game, and uh, it didn't go that well. 
And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Kirby Smart for a second. You do not have uh, like Oklahoma's 2019 defense where you know you got to score 50 to win against good teams. You don't have that, okay? You are a defense that feels you could hold the best offenses in the country under three touchdowns. You feel that way. When you're sitting in a scrimmage setting and you're imagining the strength of your team being defense and you know what you need to have at quarterback to complement that, and you're watching a guy turn the ball over. Now, we don't know if they were tip passes. We don't know any of that. So th- admittedly, this is all we have to go on. We just know turnovers happened on Dewan Mathis's watch, more so than JT Daniels. And you have such risk aversion, knowing you don't need to take as many chances this year. I got to imagine JT Daniels is the overwhelming front runner to win this job. I believed that going into this week. They need to create competition, and they have it, and I understand that. So Kirby is certainly not going to say, oh, I mean, we're giving Dwan some some looks, but hey, come on now, he's not going to start. No, that's not the way it is. And I don't believe in reality that's the way it is. I think it's the way it will eventually shake out, though. He described, he being Kirby Smart, the offense is a work in progress. Um, and you know, the, the way that I look at it and the way I think he looks at it is, let's again be real with ourselves. Georgia's defense is stacked. They are elite. I think they're going to be the best unit in the country this year if they maintain health and all that, yada, yada, yada. He knows he can beat seven to eight teams on his schedule playing defense and ball control. But as I said before, and I will continue to say, the standard here is much different. The standard here, the expectation level here is college football playoff. That's the start of the conversation. SEC title, compete with Bama, college football playoff. That's the conversation. You don't do that playing good, solid defense and ball control. They tried it last year. That's not how you're going to win in today's college football. So I look at it and I say, I think I'm going to have a defense there. What am I going to have at quarterback? And in the biggest games, in the moments, if it's it's 21 to 20 in the fourth quarter against Alabama and you got to make a 73-yard drive to get in field goal range, who can stretch the field for you? It's JT Daniels. That's who it is. Now, I'm not saying he alone can shoulder the load. Offensive line's got to come into focus. Uh, Wide receivers got to develop some quality depth. But that's what I'm watching for Georgia. And two things also that I'll keep watching with them, the level of pass rush. Uh, I was talking to to Jake Rowe, actually, the other day since I mentioned him. He said, man, one one of the words I am so tired of hearing around Georgia is havoc. And the reason is because havoc rate is one of the advanced metrics and stats that a lot of people keep these days um, that they never mentioned in 1980. The concept existed. It's just a new word for it. It's just basically how consistently can you create disruption and harass the quarterback and just basically throw a wrench into the offensive uh, flow of things. And really, you got to have pass rush. On the edge and interior, you want to have pass rush. They haven't had it to the level that they want. And, um, you know, I think that is something on an otherwise defense that figures to be elite that I'll be watching. And the second thing is you won't notice this on the surface, but the depth in the secondary, they're thin behind some really good frontline guys. So if they stay healthy, if they don't lose anyone in the secondary, they'll be great there. One hiccup, couple of hiccups face a team that can go four or five wide consistently and get you into forced nickel and dime sets and expose maybe a fifth or sixth defensive back, that's a potential area where Georgia could see some vulnerability. But otherwise, man, I'm I'm not talking about defense a whole lot from the scrimmage because you just 
you run out of accolades, you keep hearing everything, and I keep hearing everything that you'd want. I'll give you a name to watch. It's no new name to hardcore fans, but N'Kobe Dean is a former five-star linebacker out of Mississippi, a guy who they fought Alabama for, and they ended up winning that battle. N'Kobe Dean is going to be a household name by the end of this season. You mark my words. They had a philosophical shift at Georgia, an evaluation shift a few years ago. To be honest with you, they were probably always trying to get this kind of guy. But the kind of linebacker, you've seen it at Alabama. You know, they've gone from having 6'4", 260-pound inside linebackers to, you know, uh, five or six years later, Rashawn Evans was playing inside linebacker for him. And so now uh, a Christian Harris or Dylan Moses well, those guys were today the size of an outside linebacker at Alabama a few years ago, probably smaller even than that. The style of linebacker has changed down here out of necessity. N'Kobe Dean is the kind of the first in that wave of new style inside backers that they started targeting at Georgia a few years ago, and he is entering his second year now. That guy's going to shine. He's really good. He's a guy that you really, really have to game plan for. So those are updates from the two scrimmages in Tuscaloosa and Athens, respectively, yesterday. And um, they bear watching. They bear close watching. And we're going to talk about a lot more later this week. But those were the two that I wanted to specifically focus on tonight. Okay. (sighs) Let me take a deep breath. And you take a deep breath along with me. The very latest in the Big Ten. When we last spoke on Thursday, what were we talking about? You remember, we were talking about A it looking like it could be imminent that a revote was coming on the state of the fall 2020 college football season in the Big Ten. I understand how frustrating this must be. If you're just a casual fan, if you don't care about the politics of the sport, if you don't care about the intricacies, if you just want, I just want to turn on my TV on Saturday and I want to watch Michigan State versus Penn State. That's all I want. Is that too much to ask? Well, yes, it is. But I understand the questions. The questions are, why can't they play if others are playing? Like I imagine a lot of people who have kind of been tuned out over the summer and they're just now coming back to the table. You say, wait a second. If the sport were shut down, that's one thing. But you're telling me they're playing in the SEC? Central Arkansas's played how many games? They've already played two games? And we can't play because of why? That's the second thing. What are, what are the reasons exactly? Has anyone really nailed those down? What data are they talking about? What Abundantly clear, and I'm kind of looking at a peanut gallery here that's actually not in existence. Uh, you probably ask yourself, well, why can't they just go play with other teams like Notre Dame did? Or you probably ask yourself, well, how come we can't get the teams who want to play together and the ones who don't want to play can sit on the sideline? Doesn't it seem so easy? Like we used to, I mean, I'm at home right now. I'm in Georgia. So across the street, there's this old tree house. And we used to have a little group of folks that met in the tree house over there. And we built this little community amongst ourselves, our little tree house government. The rules were so simple. You put a dollar in every week and eventually you'll be able to get one of our tree or treehouse t-shirts. I mean, that was it. It wasn't, I'm not going to contribute, but I still want a t-shirt down the road. Or, well, I don't think we can do the t-shirt safely. So none of you get the t-shirts. We need a more clubhouse mentality. We need a treehouse government mentality in the Big Ten. But as we record today, and it is uh, Sunday morning, so don't blame me for anything that happened between now and the time you're watching this. I got a family reunion to go to, guys. I had to pre-record today. We can only know what's recorded, and we can only know what is public. 
Now, let me tell you this. So we don't know if there's a revote. We don't think there is a revote that has taken place yet. Having accepted what reality is in the Big Ten, if I were involved, I wouldn't let it leak under the threat of death penalty. I would not let it leak if we were revoting. And the simple reason is because if we arrive at the same conclusion that we did in August and we release that we revoted and came to the same conclusion, I don't want that torch and pitchfork mob on my front lawn somewhere. So we think we know, but we don't really know. Now, let me give you my interpretation. I think a vote is coming. I fully believe a revote is coming. I don't care how many national blue check marks report otherwise. I believe a revote is coming. The general feel that I've gotten from talking to people as plugged in as you can be here, none of whom are university presidents or chancellors, so take that for what you will, I think about anywhere from six to eight teams are ready to go. You heard Jim Harbaugh yesterday walking. Uh, he was he was on his way somewhere. There's a mic in his face. I mean, he said, hey, man, we're ready to play tomorrow. Or we can play in two weeks. We're ready. I mean, we've been practicing. A lot of teams up there have been practicing. I think about six to eight, somewhere in that range, are ready to play. I think uh, the number's probably four or five that don't want to play. And then I think we have a couple on the fence. And I also think uh, what has been rumored with the Michigan president, I think that's true. I think the Michigan president is a big sticking point here. There were reports over the weekend, including this morning, that you know the head football coach at Michigan, being Jim Harbaugh, the head football coach, cannot get in touch with the president of Michigan, even as the president of Michigan is posting videos of himself on YouTube and Twitter. So again, casual fan comes back to the table, must look at the situation and say, what has 2020 provided us here? What Account for yourself, 2020. There is no accounting for it. So what's on the table, plans B and C, non-starters for me. Non-star- A Thanksgiving sync up with the Pac-12, non-starter for me. Don't care about it. Don't accept it. Reject it wholly. Pathetic. If you can't get the season off the ground in October, there's no way you're going to look at me and say, oh, but November will be cool. And then if you can't get it off the ground in November and you your, your plan C, so to speak, is a spring start, uh, that's a double non-starter for me. And I think for most of your quality NFL-bound players, it'll be a non-starter. It is really, really aggravating to even think about those options B and C. But I'll tell you, at the more fundamental level, as we all kind of sit here in a holding pattern, and a lot of you have figured this out, but if you haven't figured it out already, again, if you're trying to remove yourself from the political nature of this, what what the most aggravating part of this is now and always will be is that, unfortunately, some of the people in decision-making positions here are not remotely as passionate about this sport as you and I are. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means they don't have the emotional investment here. And let me pause. Let me do something I frequently do on this show and tell you what I didn't just say. What I didn't just say is, if you care about this sport, then you should push forward for it no matter what. That's not what I'm saying. If there were quality analysis and data on the table that showed that there is an extreme risk to college football players, 18 to 22-year-old fully healthy athletic males, if they are put in an environment to play college football. If that were on a piece of paper in front of me right now, I'd be the first one beating the drum the loudest saying, nope, we cannot play. Don't care what it means for my personal well-being or satisfaction, we can't play. Guys, that doesn't exist. 
it does not exist. If anything, the opposite exists. If anything, it is a safer environment. It doesn't exist. And because of that, people like me are very, very, very ardently pushing for a season to happen, as are a lot of you in Big Ten country. But yet your leadership is failing you. Leadership is a very loose term that I use right now. But the flaw in the system is they don't care. So whereas you and I may look at it and understand there is an area that is non-zero risk. So, you know, there is a slight risk, but is fully acceptable. It's just like when you get in a car and drive to work. I mean, you can't guarantee you're not going to get in a wreck, but the odds are very remote. So you're perfectly willing to take the small non-zero risk. We have a non-zero risk here, well within the margin of acceptability. Someone who doesn't want to play the sport, though, can reasonably take that non-zero risk, float it over your head, use medical jargon and terminology that is meant to make you feel inferior intellectually, when in reality, a lot of this stuff has been common sense all along, and they can say, look, there's a risk here. If even one person catches COVID-19 because of decisions we made, we'll have blood on our hands. No, you won't. No, first off, if that happens, you'll have someone who has COVID-19. That's what you'll have. That's what you'll have. What is the risk if you don't play and you put guys back out in the environment that they would otherwise be in? What is the risk there? Because I can tell you what the numbers say there. We can have some firm data-based conversations there. I don't think you want to have them, though, because the argument that you're making and the viewpoint you're coming from is an intellectually bankrupt viewpoint. You don't believe what you're saying half the time. So I'm not going to believe it either. But I cannot stress enough, cannot stress enough, how important it is to have a season. And I want to warn you, Pac-12 is about to experience this. The Pac-12 understands and has understood when people walk away, you know, when you don't give them something good enough, or in, or in this case, maybe don't give them anything at all, but if you don't give them something good enough, you cannot take your base for granted. When you turn on Pac-12 football, and you see that it is a shell of what it once was, what that is is some people left and they never came back to the table. And you don't think it could ever happen in the Big Ten. Well, I didn't think what's happening now could happen in the Big Ten. For many reasons, it is so imperative that you get this season off the ground in October. In October. Point blank, full stop. Because if you don't, you will have turned a lot of people off to the point where they're walking away. And you may expect them to be right back there at the table come 2021. And I'm telling you, all of them won't be. Some of them are going to find out, I do just fine without Big Ten football. Can you quantify that impact? And by the way, not all those folks will just be fans. Not all of those folks will just be someone buying Big Ten Network or purchasing tickets to a Purdue game. Some of them will be players. Some of them will be future recruits. And mark my words, some of them will be coaches. You're a coach and you look around and you got options in conferences that are willing to compensate you equal to what the Big Ten is, but you view them as taking football much more seriously. Where are you going in the future? What if you're an up and coming coach right now? What impression is being left on you about how serious the Big Ten is about football? What if you're a current coach up there? You're looking around and you have options. And in 2022, 2023, when it's time to have a hardcore behind-the-scenes negotiation, this is not Ohio State's fault. This is not Penn State's fault. But yet, programs like that, for all you know, could be victimized down the road because of the utter incompetence 
that is on full display in Big Ten leadership positions. Just something to keep an eye on. I think we're going to have some movement early this week at the very latest. Uh, I had two questions here that I wanted to wrap with. Trey and Steven both asked questions, and I wanted to address them both kind of in, in one segment. So Trey asked, what do you think about the rumblings we're hearing out of LSU this weekend? I'll explain that in a second. Steven said, do you think this year, if it goes sideways, could it be so bad it hurts LSU recruiting? So I'm going to get to both of these. Trey asked a question, what do I think about what we're hearing out of LSU? A lot of you probably aren't aware of what's been happening down there unless you're an LSU fan, but this is important because it ties into the greater college football picture and what I told you was coming. Remember two weeks ago, two weekends ago, at Oklahoma, they had a player-organized massive recruiting weekend. You cannot do this right now because it is a recruiting dead period. Coaches can't be organizing this stuff like they normally would, but players can because there's no rule on what players are allowed to do at the high school level if they want to pay their own way. So Caleb Williams, number one quarterback in the country this upcoming recruiting cycle, he's committed to Oklahoma. He and a lot of other folks got together, and they just did their own recruiting visit with a bunch of elite guys, some of whom were not committed to Oklahoma and still aren't, and they just did a visit, and they hung out, and they went to Norman, and a lot of people took notice of that. Georgia didn't have a flashy name for their weekend, but they did the same thing a couple of weekends ago. And so we came out of that and I had a lot of people in the comment section saying, oh, they're cheating. Oh, there's no way that just players organize that. Well, look at what they have to resort to. And I told you, number one, I thought it was brilliant. And number two, I said, careful, careful. If you're a Texas fan or an Alabama fan or an LSU, Florida, I had everybody. It ran the gamut. Everybody who was not of Oklahoma or Georgia was criticizing this and throwing around accusations. And I said, you better be careful because you will be doing this soon. LSU did it this weekend. LSU, now I don't know if they had a fancy name for it either, but I was talking to Shay Dixon down at Go 24-7 about kind of what led up to this. And sure enough, Garrett Nussmeyer, just like Caleb Williams, Big-time quarterback commit for LSU in their upcoming class. Kind of organized a big recruiting weekend. How big, Josh, how big was this recruiting weekend? I mean, big could mean so many things. Well, how does this sound? Now, I don't know what the final numbers are. I know they planned on having 13 guys in there, all 13 in the top 150. I think nine of the 13 ranked in the top 100 of the top 247 player rankings. So, is that big enough for you? Mason Smith, five-star defensive tackle. Corey Foreman, all the way out of California, one of the very top players in America. Uh, Tristan Lay, five-star offensive tackle, all in town. And so now juxtapose this to what the latest word out of LSU has been. It's just been negative, 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 blow after blow after blow. Recruiting is not going away here, okay? I don't care if they go five and five this year. Recruiting's not going away. Imagine the selling point. Now, if you're a salesman like Ed Orgeron is, as much as this season may have some hurdles, imagine the selling point that we just won a national championship 15 minutes ago and we got a lot of playing time to sell and we're good at recruiting and we're in Louisiana. You know, we have everything to offer. That's not a, it's not the hardest proposition in the world to push, but here was the second question that we got from Steven. Again, do you think this year could be so bad that it hurts LSU recruiting? No, no, I don't from a record standpoint. Now, if there are unforeseen internal or cultural issues that arise, that's beyond the scope of anything we could talk about on this show right now. But if it's just a garden variety, you know, win the national championship, lose a lot of talent, and then have some more guys opt out, so you just don't have good enough players 
and or experience in team chemistry to win, and that's it? No. Actually, it could do the opposite. It could do the inverse. It could help. Think about what you have at LSU that any virtually any other team that could struggle this year doesn't have. I'm going to do a comparative analysis here. This is not a prediction. But for argument's sake, let's take Georgia. Georgia is expected to compete for the SEC this year. But let's say Georgia went 6-4. and four. Let's just say, for whatever reason, things went sideways for them. They went 6-4. and four. And let's say LSU went 6-4 and four this year, too. Think about the differences in the way that recruits would look at those programs and the differences in the way that competing programs would be able to recruit against them on the recruiting trail. So if I am a five-star linebacker out of what random town do we want to pick? Um, let's, let's do, let's do Tyler, Texas. So I'm a five-star linebacker out of Tyler, Texas. Um, this is a theoretical five-star linebacker. I don't think we have one in Tyler, Texas this year, but I'm down to Georgia and I'm down to fill in the blank university and LSU and fill in the blank universities in my living room. They could look at me if Georgia went six and four, they could look at me and say, man, I don't think Kirby's got it, dude. I, they, they're not going to win a national championship over there. Like, what are you going to achieve there? They got all those resources. They got everything they could ever need, but they just don't get it done. You can't say that about LSU because LSU has something very few folks have. When they walk into your living room, they got a national championship in their back pocket. And they also have a litany of guys they just sent to the NFL draft. So I want three things, really. I want to be able to compete for championships. I want to be developed to my full potential, and I want to get access to playing time. I want to earn it, but I want to get access to playing time. If LSU season goes bad, they've got the national championship ring on their finger when they walk in my living room, and it's still fresh. It's still nice and shiny. They just won it. So they've proven to me already, with the right players in the stable, we can win a championship, man. We just set all kinds of records in doing so. Number two, all those guys who won that title are in the NFL now, so there's your proof of development. And number three, did you hear what I said? All those guys are in the NFL, and we just had a bad year. You know what that means? That means we can develop you. That means we can get you to the NFL. That means we can win a title, and that means we need you to be able to do it again and look at all this potential playing time. So no, again, outside of some, some external factor that we could never see, there is no way that one bad season is knocking LSU recruiting off track. Absolutely not happening. All right, uh, a little, I guess not all that much a shorter show today than normal. But again, Family Reunion Sunday happens the first Sunday in September every single year. So had to do it from home today. Really, really appreciate you guys. Again, as I told you, it does not go unnoticed how many of you are subscribing to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. The five-star reviews and the comments and the subscriptions on the podcast side, late kick, search it in your podcast feed if you haven't already and subscribe. Those haven't gone unnoticed either, not just by me, but by people higher in this organization than me. So thank you for that. We will have a full week for you this week. We've got grand season previews coming up for various teams this week. And the ones that we don't get to on the channel I will still try and get to in some shape, form, or fashion. Also, remember, we are doing two episodes on the podcast side of Late Kick Extra. That's just a Q&A. Just you ask the questions, I answer them. You can submit questions for that in my inbox, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, and you can DM me at Late Kick Josh, or you can reply to the comment right below this video if you're watching Late Kick Live with a question there. And I get to as many of them as I can. We drop those on Tuesday morning. 
and Thursday morning. Uh, Jordan, recent addition, by the way, to the podcast team, been doing a great job for us. So give Jordan a high five if you see him. You probably won't know how to because I don't know what he looks like and you don't know what he looks like either. But uh, at the very least, give him a nice comment in the comment section. So really appreciate you joining us again. For Colin, who's back up in Nashville directing, thanks to him. Thanks for Jordan. Thanks for Tani. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks to you as well. Have a great start to your week and God bless.